Have you been listening to the show and wondering how you could become a sponsor? Are you an artist, an entrepreneur, a self-published author? Maybe you have your own small business? To find out more, you can go to www.bookinterrupted.com sponsorship. We'd love to hear from you. Parental guidance is recommended because this episode has mature topics and strong language. Here are some moments you can look forward to during this episode of Book Interrupted. Go to someone that's going to say, no, that was shit. And then the prison guards ended up acting violently and I don't want your sweaty candy, sir. Technically, I'm not mixed, but emotionally, culturally, I am. Megan, right, did the Oprah interview and it was a big uproar and kind of, I like Sharon Osbourne. I always Um, think about that bystander thing, like when I see something. My body and soul, inflammation is the goal. Disrupted. Mind, body, and soul. Inspiration is the goal. And we're gonna talk it out. On Book Interrupted. Welcome to Book Interrupted, a book club for busy people to connect and one that celebrates life's interruptions. If you'd like to join along, this book cycle is from May 9th to June 13th. It's the fan book choice. And Squiggy will be joining us for this book cycle. The book that we're reading is White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. In this in-depth exploration, this book examines how white fragility develops, how it protects racial inequality, and what we can do to engage more constructively. Let's listen in to this episode's group discussion. Robin, have you read any other books? Uh, Anti-racism books? I I just finished The Skin We're In, Desmond Cole. I read that article. He is a activist, Toronto-based, wrote for the Toronto Star for a little bit, very highly political guy. And he uses uh, 2017 and racial incidences that happen every month as a stepping stone to explore how shitty Canada is being. So it is a very, like, it hurts to read because it is just so appalling what's happening that's where like white fragility is a really good book to i've now used this term now to activate white people so it's like the buzz line was don't just be not racist be anti be actively anti-racist so it's these things these triggers these words let it be chapter five or what have you that activates white people and that's what this book does and that's why i still if someone asked me about it i still say this book because it's the gateway but If you want a good understanding and for it to feel real, because even the concept of slavery and colonization is so distant from our daily lives that it's really difficult to fully grasp. But to listen to Desmond Cole talk about police brutality, immigration issues, welfare issues, and how targeted the Canadian system is, and especially how bad Toronto is, and that hits close to home for me because I spent a great deal of my life there. And then I also have uh, How to Be Anti-Racist in my queued up book, but I got to flip it with other books every so often just to keep sane. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. I I, uh, listened to that book. What I like about that book that, well, what's kind of similar about that book and White Fragility is that he lets himself be vulnerable and talks about times where he was racist 
which is great because it's because if you're doing and basically he says if you, any anybody who's doing anti-racist work needs to self-reflect as well because we all grew up in this system and I really like that because I think that also makes that book even though it's very um it's kind of intense also welcoming to white people too uh being like hey you think you feel vulnerable everyone can be vulnerable if you're going to do self-reflection that's self-reflection of any kind uh you have to be willing to be vulnerable that's one thing i really loved about this book for myself right in the opening part where they talked where she talked about mixed people and while both my parents are indian and brown i grew up very very white so having that mentality of a white person in the skin of a brown person and coming to terms with that it's like well Technically, I'm not mixed, but emotionally, culturally, I am. And it was uh, like, again, said again, it's a good gateway book. does have that nurturing thing where it's like, okay, I'm going to explain a lot of heavy stuff to you and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be tough. But just, and this also goes to another thing I've been saying, there's a balance of uh, slap the wrist and then hold the hand. So it's like, hey, white people, you're racist. Now let's be gentle and tell you how to do stuff about that. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Did but you don't guys, worry, everyone is. You <laughs> like, yeah, don't worry, you're all, you're not you're all fucked up together. But just thinking about the, the like, uh, hold the hand, slap the wrist. Did anyone see, like, I randomly, I was home and whatever. I, w- I had the TV on and I put the talk on. Okay, so Harry and um, Megan, Megan, right, did the Oprah interview and it was a big uproar and everything's divided and half the world is like, she's, out to do bad and the rest of the world is like oh my god that she actually called a spade a spade or whatever right yeah and uh, um, the representation of colonization is racist what? yeah 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 right like outrage and i guess pierce morgan said something i don't re- i don't know what he said i don't even remember now he said a whole lot and lost it i and, and walked off his show too right like yeah. i joined the conversation at sharon osborne defending herself okay for defending Pierce Morgan. So I didn't really do a whole lot of research. I kind of got the gist. And she was on the talk in real time, being like as gently confronted as she could be by two black, well, at least one black woman. I can't tell the ethnicity of the other person, but she was a person of color. And they were gently trying to explain to her like why people may have a problem with her defending Pierce's right to free speech. And she went like, I tweeted, I was like, here is an example of white fragility in real time, people like, look, watch this, because she went so far as to be like, I should be the one that needs protection or whatever. She like, she went full blown victim. Like it was crazy. And I think she's off the show now. So she did release a statement after that to be like some version of sorry that probably someone else wrote for her. I just wanted to talk about that here because I couldn't believe with this book, our topic, you know, it's just obviously it's so relevant, but to see her, to see the conversation be attempted by people of color to a white person who is like the queen of privilege and the way that she took it was so poorly, unless you want to know about the best example you ever saw of white fragility in action, then like it was, so I just wondered if anyone saw that, if anyone had any thoughts about it, like. But I'll look it up now. Like, it's just so hypocritical. Like, that show is supposed to be about talking about this and whatever, whatever. Sharon should have been able to offer herself as an example. And she should have been able to come back humbled if she was, you know. Maybe she can read this book and then go back on and try it again. (laughs) I mean, maybe. But she got a big settlement, right? Like, like they cancel cultured her, right? So she can't be on the show anymore, but she's had the contract. So now she made a bunch of money. So, like, that kind of bastardizes the whole thing for me, too, because... I don't think she a should have been canceled 
And she probably was not comfortable because she was crying. Like she was like, if I, as a, if I wanted to empathize with her, I would feel bad because she was probably very embarrassed and highly threatened, like identity threatened on live TV or whatever, live-ish TV. So that's what was so captivating about it because I was watching it in real time and I was like, holy crap, like this is a dumpster fire. She also put herself in that position, mm. Mm. bringing up the topic of Piers Martin. Like at yeah, the end she of the day, have to. all of you have put yourself in a position where I could call out something or even after reading this book of white people calling out white people that you could all put each other on the block for one reason or another. And that is the choice she took by being a celebrity on a TV or being recorded or engaging in that. Like it wasn't isolated, private conversation. Most likely I've not seen the clip, but it most likely didn't go to the level where the people of color were attacking her character because they were probably very cautious of how they approached it. You could see it. They were like, they were front loading with like, we're not saying you're bad, but maybe consider that saying that might upset. You know what I mean? Like they were so baby gloves or whatever the term is. I didn't understand why she chose the approach that she did. That's what I, cause I previous to this, Kind of, I like Sharon Osbourne, me but too. that whole thing made me rethink. I was like, why is she going about this in public form? It seems like she was trying to stage a spectacle that just oh, ended up. She was so entitled and superior and like, I'm going to defend my friend. That's my, and she was just so small minded about it too. Yeah. She was just like, what? I'm defending my friend. I can defend my friend and the freedom of speech. Right. And, and like, I'm about to have opinions. Right. And, and totally unwilling to see. Don't you impact. understand my intention without looking at the impact? Yeah. It was very, I, it made me rethink Sharon. The problem with it the was not each no. argument. Is that like, yeah, you can say whatever you want. But then people can react and say whatever they they want. want. Yeah, right, right. It's not like I get to say whatever I want and you can't say anything back. That's you know, that's just not Not freedom of speech. That's not right. That's uh, (laughs) that just means you get to say whatever you want. That's yeah, it's the opposite. So I mean, say whatever you want, but then if nobody wants to hear anything else you have to say and they cancel you from the show, then that was your prerogative. You you got the freedom to speak, but the consequences. Or what other people think. So yeah, yeah you know there's a ton of people out there that probably think the same way she does. Oh, for sure. Oh, they all put it sure. on her. And is Pierce Morgan. Yeah. The the thing is, is that she didn't want to be accountable for the fact that she might by proxy be upholding racism. She only wanted to go so far as to say, I support my friends and that's what I do. Whatever I'm supporting them in, like I almost don't even want to know. You know what I mean? Like, oh, my friend did something, I'm behind them hundred percent. Don't care what they did. You know, like, I don't know. It was just really a, a prime example of like white solidarity, right? Mm. Like, but they're well, a good person. Yeah. And let's all make a pact then. If any of us do anything <laughs> that you all think that we shouldn't be, you know, that's inappropriate or what, just call us out on it. And in whatever way you think, you know, like do it bluntly to me, do it nicely to Kara or whatever yeah. way you want to do it. But, but I mean, as a friend, I don't want you to support me in that. I want you to call me out on it. That's one of the things that Robin D'Angelo says in the book that I really like. And I mentioned it in my final book report is I like that she says, confide in someone that's going to hold you accountable. Don't go to people that are going to 
make like remind you and give you all the excuses why you did it and why you're still such a good person and like go to someone that's going to say no that was shit this is what I think Mm -hmm. you need to do like not to be like no you're still a good person but or like no you're probably having a bad day and you know you have that headache and that migraine that causes me to yell out the racism racism right whatever the racism i got that damn racist headache oh i hate when i get those (laughs) whatever i'm on a rampage (laughs) this interruption is brought to you by unpublished do you want to know more about the members and book interrupted go behind the scenes visit our website at www.bookinterrupted.com book interrupted I was interrupted today by spring. Well, almost spring, but I got to do some gardening today. It was such a beautiful day out and the sun was shining and I was digging up the earth and I was supposed to be doing so many other things, but it was just such a beautiful day and I couldn't, I couldn't not be outside. So instead of the things I was supposed to do, I interrupted it with gardening and sunshine. What a wonderful day. Book interrupted. It's more than just seeking forgiveness. It's, again, that journey, that path that, like, you are putting in the work. And it's acknowledging. Like, there's multiple steps to a proper apology. There's the acknowledgement. There's the words, I'm sorry. There is the next step of what you're planning on doing. And then there's also the following through. Yeah, there's a difference between apologizing and making amends. Like, Mm -hmm. apology first, and then how am I going to make amends and change? Like some people think, well, apolog- apologizing is hard, but it really is just words. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, until you change something. And I had a real interesting experience this past week when you talked about something that you've done in your history past. And the thing is, you got to realize you're a different person then. For me, I never lived brown out loud until this past year, year and a half. You guys haven't known me for years. Lindsay has, but part of my character has been always chameleon, camouflage, blend in, carry myself white. And I had a Facebook status about me working in rural high-end hotel in in Newfoundland. And I represented the entire people of color employed by the hotel. And a good friend of mine at the time, and she had been a good friend for a long time until recently, she commented in all caps, what, you're brown? And for me, I had an ongoing joke within my friend's circle about me being brown as in like it's shocking or it's different and looking back on that it's like figuring out like what kind of identity I did have was so messed up if I made such jokes of something as simple and clearly obvious was my skin color that I camouflaged it and hid it under jokes Uh, You think, Robin, that it was the reason that you made those jokes? Do you think it was because you were you were ashamed or you didn't want to have the skin color or do you just like what was the motivation behind those jokes, you think, when you were younger and what like and having all white friends and (laughs) pretty much? (laughs) Uh, I think the biggest thing was also media representation. So a lot of what I look back on on uh, what influenced me was uh, black culture, rap music, uh, wearing my ball cap slightly askew, basketball jerseys, and then using their language as well. And people are like, oh, you're not really black. And I'm like, I'm the blackest one in the room. And (laughs) it's that people, it's just a confusion in that sense that 
one of the things in the book that I talked about it is that kids developed racial socialization at a younger age than we realize. So by the time even that I'm verbal and talking and cliques and circle of friends is that like no one has been exposed or educated or taught to understand how it is to be brown. It it's weird and self-reflecting because also I had a I had a fantastic childhood. I feel like I grew up really well adjusted and it's just hindsight and those defense mechanisms were also enjoyable. Like I had fun. I had good friends. I was never fez from that 70s show. Like when you watch that show, that person of color character just takes a lot of abuse. Same with Big Bang Theory. The foreigner, the outsider, the person of color. And I'm just wondering now, like, how would I have reacted with that as my influence during my high school years? That um, as your one of your white friends from growing up, I didn't ever think of you as different, which I guess is the problem with the whole thing that this is what the white <laughs> fragility is, right? Like, yeah. but at the same time, growing up, like you were just my friend, Robin, like this was never like, you know, and I had, I don't know, it just so it that's what confuses me sometimes with this whole thing is because growing up, you were never any different. So does that mean now that I'm but you are you are different to me now because I realized there I always knew you had different color skin than me. But I, that's why I, I have a hard time with this concept of like someone that I've known for a really long time. Am I supposed to think of you differently now just because of the color of your skin, considering we grew up in the same kind of the same neighborhoods and the same cultures and the same everything? I don't know. Does I any think it's adapting to who I am now. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things that. <clears throat> The person that made that Facebook comment, what, Robin, you're brown? I'm no longer friends with her because I started actually more and more voicing my own opinion, standing up for myself. And she, in her last message to me, she said that she had to walk around, she had to walk on eggshells around me, Mm -hmm. which from my point of view, from my perspective, very gaslighting in general. It's that every couple of years, I seem to go through a new chapter in life, things change, let it be relationship-wise, work-wise, travel-wise. I think that happens to everybody. And it's the people that roll and adapt with you. So it's one of those things, Lindsay, back at Licks, you didn't see me as a brown person. Mm. But you're like, shit, this dude's talking about white fragility and he's a person of color. Let's bring him on this show. So you've already shown more respect now. And it's just, to me as a person and adapting as I grow. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you can't beat yourself up for things in the past as long as you continue to make amends in the future. So now you see me more as a color activist mm-hmm. and yes. you're supportive of that. Yes. Back to the beginning of this conversation about the jokes and it being like a, a running kind of theme, like, oh, what, you're brown or whatever. Could that be like a reflection of the internalization of like white is right? and Also, do you think that maybe there was a whiff of like, like that friend that had when you became more when you stepped inside of yourself more, and she felt like she had to walk on eggshells around you before that you were getting the same, like the white solidarity. So you were brown, but because you were behaving white, and like minimizing your own brownness, you were it was reinforced. And so, you know, like, I I don't want to offer I don't want to give my interpretation to your experience. But I do want to say like, what do you think about that? And this is where it also leads into a lot of intersectionality with other motivations, especially I learned when I started standing up for myself and walking away, it was because a lot, I got along well with women and 
for the longest time, I felt like I was leaned on as a non-sexual boyfriend in place. People came and go and disappeared as plot, romantic plot lines came and go. Mm. So it was that default also perverted nice guy persona. And the whole nice guy thing and the friend zone thing is a whole nother rabbit hole. And that then can tie into the model minority of pleasing and wanting to fit in and extrapolate to a point of being stepped on it to yeah. drive the point home. You start to open up your mind to activism stuff. You, then you start understanding feminism and anti-racism work and fat phobia. And the intersectionality of all these is daunting. And that's also why like this book doesn't have a finish line because once you establish yourself as a good person, you're like, God damn it, racism is not going to be solved in my lifetime. And it's just going to be an ongoing process of work and being a good activist, meaning that you understand that women's struggles, Black struggles, fat phobic struggles. Oh, yeah. And let's not forget gay and trans. And they're all so intersectional that even within my own personal life, my own personal struggles, there's three of the four there. And Having that self-awareness also allows you to be better yourself and to surround yourself with better people and to know when to walk away, to know the battles that are worth fighting. Bringing back to the book, like it's really interesting that like example she showed about offending the lady with the hair. One of the first questions was, am I doing, do I have permission to try to make amends for this? And allowing that story to be open allows for continuation along the spectrum yeah and if the woman had said no that's something worth thinking about too because that's how would you deal with that if you asked me if you could make amends and they said no that's like a whole other journey too both things are hard yeah if the people like accept i really like that example too but yeah i like um, that they give them the chance to say no because it's almost like a handing over of power um and going back to what you said like the thing about equality is we all have to get there together You know, some people think that because you talk about one type of oppression that you're taking away from someone else and you're not, we all have to get to equality together and it's all interrelated. Intertwined, yeah. Okay, so, you know, having blinders up made Mm -hmm. me think of, in the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, he said there's a, a thing that really stuck with me in the book was when he said that there was. I think it was in Brooklyn or New York somewhere where there was like that murder and all these people witnessed, has anyone else read that book? All these people, people witnessed this person getting murdered and nobody called the police. No one helped this person and no one called the police because everybody there thought this is so horrific. Someone else must've done it. And it makes me think of how when things happen, so many times you think, well, someone else is going to do it. You know, someone else is going to report that someone's saying something. I know at a company I worked for, someone um, higher up made a slur, like really gross racial slur. And it turns out, and then there was other people that were, you know, closer, my management there that didn't say anything. And later I was like, I made me think of that book Blink at the time. And I reported it to HR, but anonymously because I was like afraid of reporting the senior person. Yeah, no one else had reported it. It was, there's 20 people that witnessed this. And there was someone 
at our company that was like offended by this joke. And when they looked at them and said, oh, sorry. Like, oh, only because Ooh. this other person, I was like, ugh. And then that book made me think of it. And that's exactly what happened. Everyone else thought someone else would say something or were afraid to say something because of their position. Uh, I always um, think about that bystander thing. Like when I see something, like I'll be driving and there's somebody on the side of the road or whatever. I'll be like, oh, someone will get them. I was like, no, that's me. I saw them. I have to stop and help them. They have a busted tire or whatever. Like, you know, like it's just you have to remind yourself, be like, wait, that person needs help or whatever. I always think this is how Ted Bundy got people. <laughs> I don't stop. <laughs> yes. I call the police. I don't stop either because I'm worried about that too. All those like emails that say like, oh, if you see a baby in the side of the road, someone's going to try to you whatever when you see a baby on the side of the road where are you (laughs) what kind of an example is it is is that happening no that was the email you know they put like babies yeah those scare emails no no one knows that baby one no No. although i have warned my children like if a stranger asks you to help them look for a puppy oh go away from that class come get me candy too Candy in his pocket? Candy. No, thank you. <laughs> I don't want your sweaty candy, sir. <laughs> I don't have any material at hand, but it's the Kitty Genovese story and the bystander oh. fact, but it got debunked because it's a myth. Same with the Harvard prison experiment. While both mm-hmm. those have been noted in a lot of psycholo- psychology books, there's been a lot of holes poked in them. And that's mm-hmm. research for a later time. I'm not accountable at that at this moment yeah so just be cautious Uh, of that so are you saying that the bystander effect might be a myth or just that story uh i think the story that led to that effect so Hmm. if the bystander effect is rooted on that story but that story is false much like the harvard prison experiment with now definitely i know that one for sure a lot of materials come out about how that was manipulated and orchestrated um, Robin, um, remind me, so the Harvard prison experiment was a bunch of students and they put some students as uh, prison guards and yeah. some of them as prisoners. Yeah. And then the prison guards ended up acting violently and, and then yeah. the prisoners acted like they were um, victims. To prove that absolute power corrupts absolutely. But then it's been now released that the guy behind the experiment was egging on and encouraging the people in power to be ruthless and all that so it wasn't a an actual experiment it was Hmm. a manipulation Hmm. even though although it was kind of showing that the researcher could use his power or her power to Mm. get these people to do ruthless things so there's that i guess it shows bias right i really believe this would happen i'm going to influence you to make it happen yeah and now i can report that it happened can tell you (laughs) to do something you're like well they're the authority i guess i can do it like there's that's like and the that original of the Stanley. Electrical. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, the shocks. Stanley yeah. Milgram. Yes. And Bill Murray. And Bill Murray. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ghostbusters Oh, Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. Where were they again? Sorry, you're wrong. <laughs> you know, we have all these old movies. Like, we have a lot of DVDs. But then, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I got to get rid of these DVDs because when I revisit them and I take off the misogyny <laughs> blinders and I take off the white supremacy blinders, I was like, oh, man, I liked that movie, but I can't let my kids see that and that and that, right? Like, because my kids might be watching the, I mean, who am I kidding? Like my kids are going to watch movies I used to watch. Probably not. 
but the point is they're there. I like to use them as um, conversation points. So like if there is a movie where there is some, you know, formerly acceptable misogyny or something in it, watch it, enjoy it, but also be like, what do you think about that? Like, why, how come that's allowed? Why does he get to decide just because he's a man that doesn't make any sense? I decided the house, don't you think? Like, <laughs> you see me deciding yeah. all the time. I like Speaking that. of kids, I, uh, I want to bring it back to the book. And one of the things that blew my mind, because this actually has happened to me, is when the kid goes, hey, that man's skin is different. Oh, and yeah. the embarrassment of the mom. mom and sh- sh- yeah. And then the actual what explaining. Like, notice that it's different? What do you think about the explaining? I think I, I, I like that. Because the thing is, I've been around there and I've seen the mom embarrassed and like I've engaged the kid about it. But then to compare it to like if the kid said, oh, that man is beautiful or oh, that man is black. And just one of the things I wrote in a post recently was that like the the greatest trick that racism devil played was to get white people not to talk about race and to be afraid to talk about race and be embarrassed to talk about race. Yet the white people are the people in power and the oppressor and they are the ones that benefit from race. And another quote that the book quoted was that uh, race is the product of racism, not the other way around. Right. But in that scenario, like for that mother, like if they just said, yes, that person is black or yes, that person does have different colored skin. Like does in that situation, can it just be yes, they are and yes, it is. Or should it be a yes, they are. And because their ancestors might've come or came from a place that, People had different. What well, I mean, what I do is I'll be like, "Yeah, it is," and I was like, "That's different from ours, isn't it?" And they say, "Yeah," and they'll be like, "Okay, my kids. If I I can just end it at like it's different or it's the same," and they're like, "And th- like, I mean, they're only they're three and five, so like, once you, you say different, the same, go to they're their like, level. Oh, yeah, got it." But although Elsa does like the uh, the evolutionary, as long as different is okay in your world. Yeah, yeah. and and but. I think in that situation, what you're really teaching, because like kids, I mean, the words you say are just one small part. What kids are really picking up on are how you act, and what a parent who acts embarrassed is really teaching them is is this I'm feeling uncomfortable, and this is something to feel uncomfortable about. But yeah, back to Lindsay's question, it's it's also the awareness in reading the room, like if the person that's being singled out if they don't want to be acknowledged or they find it embarrassing themselves or they find it rude then it might be a time to shut it down or if the person is like that kid's cute now I toss the ball back to the parent to see how they're going to react to it so it's understanding the situation picking your battles wisely I have two things that I'm thinking about right now so The first one is my son did that with people who were overweight and he would be like, look at how fat that person is. And my response was to be like, it doesn't matter what they look like. It matters on if they're kind. But now I'm questioning my response because I, I feel like it a shade of being like, don't acknowledge that they're fat. And, but I, I tried to redirect him to like, like almost like it's what's inside that counts. Yeah. But, but now I'm questioning myself about that. That reinforces fat is ugly, which is not true. Sometimes I'll say, like, we do the same thing where, like, some people are bigger and some people are smaller or whatever. In terms of skin color and, like, noticing it and white is the norm, my son, we've been coloring with crayons, and he's like, I need skin color. And I've been like, what color is that? Like, what color do you need then? Because I'm trying that. That I feel more confident in. My fat people are kind or whatever. I need to, to examine and get on the everyone's beautiful train. But 
with this, I like, I kind of feel proud of it because I caught it, right? If previously, I wouldn't have caught it because of it might even be called friggin' skin color. Yeah. So he's like, I need skin color. And I'm like, well, there's all sorts of different colors of skin. So which color do you actually want? And so that was something that I've been doing, like using as a teaching moment with him. This is something that struck me about, uh, when I, I was thinking about this book and people feeling uncomfortable. And this personally comes back to my kids because my kids are asked questions about everything, like a million questions. And so like, you know, I want them to be polite. And so they always ask about like manners, why this, why that? And some manners are like crazy, right? Like you're like, I don't know. But this is what I've distilled it down to is certain manners. Essentially, the goal is to make everybody around you feel comfortable. So if you're doing something that makes somebody feel uncomfortable, that's rude, right? Like banging your fork and knife on your plate is rude. Why? Because other people feel uncomfortable when you do it or putting your elbows on the table could tip the table. And I think this kind of comes down to this book a little bit because talking about racism makes white people uncomfortable. And so sometimes we make the jump and maybe this is because of my British kind of heritage where polite is this and this is what polite is and this is what rude is. If you make me feel uncomfortable, you're rude and that's bad and whatever. But since racism makes white people feel uncomfortable, then there's this leap saying, well, then talking about racism is rude. Rude is bad. So you're bad. And I'm good because I'm polite. I'm not making anybody feel uncomfortable. And there's, I think there's kind of a parallel there a little bit. And so uh, books like this, like we were talking about, when you start talking about it, you can start laughing about it. When people become a little bit less, if we can get it out of the realm of uncomfortable is rude, maybe it'll yes. be easier to talk about. You have to be uncomfortable to do anything Bro. worthwhile. Like a lot of worthwhile things are really hard to do and make you feel uncomfortable. And so we need to put that in that realm. This that anti-racism work is worthwhile and therefore it's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable and that's good. Right. I also think that there's some shades of oppression in manners themselves, because for me, it makes me think of like a, you know, it, it goes back to like children should be seen and not heard. Or, you know, if you're approaching someone who's of a higher social class than you, you're meant to bow or curtsy. And so I think that there's some reinforcement with manners also like a class system or like some kind of, you know, some kind of grading of yeah. totally. Of, That's like pushback I've got from the kids. They're like, well, so everybody's comfortable. And they're like, yeah, but this is making me feel comfortable. And you're like, touche. Uh, <laughs> like if I, like I feel uncomfortable following your manners, you're like, okay, well, I guess really manners are about making the adults feel comfortable, which is really mm. about making the person in power feel comfortable. And, mm. uh, you know, whoever's making the rules are making the rules to make themselves comfortable. And it's kind of like, it's, it goes back to that. Um, and it's, it's ingrained because like, and if you talk about manners, we're like, maybe we should revisit what's polite and what manners are. Some people get very defensive. They're like, well, I, for one, want my kid to always say please and thank you. And you're like, yes, but wonder why it's just, just the word is not enough. Right. It's just like saying, just saying sorry is not enough. Like we need to, what's, you can say thank you without using the words. Thank you. I have a yeah. fun story about manners in your kids. And I was explaining to Max why she can't swear, but I, I fucking love swearing. So it kind of feels like a lot being a liar pants. And the only answer I could come up with was like, well, you can't swear because it makes the other adults uncomfortable, but you can swear with me. And then, so she goes, okay. And then she comes back and she goes, is Jesus a swear? And I was like, no, it's not a swear at all. And she goes, okay, good. Fucking Jesus. <laughs> I was like, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh. 
I think the crayon skin color question could also work in possibly in the moment of that man is black or that man's skin color is different and engaging the child and asking, so how do you feel about that? What are your thoughts? And going from there, like if they're just in amazement, because I've been in situations where the kid is scared that I'm a different color. And then also where the kid is amazed I'm a different color. And it's more engaging the child to nudge them to understand their reaction and where to move forward. Mm -hmm. I like that. I think it can apply to my uh, fat person one too. Being Mm -hmm. like, yep, that's what they look like. What, what does it matter to you? Or what is it about it that makes you want to talk about it? Yeah. Do you have any questions? Mm-hmm. I remember being, did I share this with you guys? I remember being in grade three and being nervous and anxious about recognizing that there were different uh, skin colors. And I loved drawing growing up. Like that's all we did, Lee and I, is draw, draw, and draw. And I remember when I was at school and I was talking to my uh, best friend and I was like, look, like I want to draw a picture of some of the students here and like some of them are like white some of them are brown some of them are black but i'm gonna have to go outside of like the acceptable flesh tones i was like can i can i do that (laughs) and when i think back and reflect on it it's because i i tend to want to be a people pleaser Um, i'm hyper anxious about being aware of the unexpressed or unspoken rules of the playground whether that playground actually be a playground at school or a workplace or whatever i remember being like panic stricken and i had to talk through it uh with my bestie she was like well we could try using brown together should we just do that i was like Yes, you know, like it's so true. It's legitimate. And so I love Squiggy that you said it was about like meeting the child where they're at, trying to get curious about them, trying to understand them because they are just a condition of them. There's not enough self-reflection at certain ages. So just to like help usher or steward that type of relationship around discoveries and being okay with the fact that you're noticing differences. And there was a point in that story when you said people pleasing and that's like, well, which people are you trying to please? Is it the white oppressor or is it identifying the people of color in your classroom? And that's also where that training for a child starts very early because it's ingrained about the uh, whiteness of our culture. Um, I just want to say that uh, the good thing in our in our society is that so I went and I bought some of those NYX period underwear. Robin, we've been talking about period underwear. I'm sure, you don't want us to go into detail, but because we just did Seeing Red, which was about periods. And so I bought some and I went online to buy the different ones and they have nude one, nude two, nude three. I think it's called mm-hmm. nude, nude four, nude five, mm-hmm. nude six or whatever it is. And they're all different colors of skin tones like from the whitest of white to the brownest of brown so that you can wear nude underwear that matches your skin as opposed to before when we talk about nude it would be kind of like my skin color yeah which so I'm glad that things are changing I don't know if does the color still call Crayola 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 has really skin toned crayons Oh, they have. Like, a, a spe- like a, you could get a box with a whole different bunch of colors, yeah. much like the period underwear. <sighs> yeah. Um, you know, the Nick's Things are website, happening. Things are changing. It's amazing. Yeah. Talking also about it, how Kim was talking about Freddie and 
pointing out, you know, not knowing what to say because he pointed out something that was fat. Can we stop calling them fat? It was just like somebody overweight or right. Okay. Voluptuous. Uh, actually, we can't. <laughs> fat, fat. Yeah, has... I don't know. Fat's okay. That's good. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. Sorry, my my or wife. Maybe is, it depends uh... on the person too. Like uh. Yeah, it like is. Sarah, it's like a comfort person thing. Person of color but... might not be okay, and fat might not be okay. Yeah. So uh, that is also true. And given given personal preference, sorry, my my wife is a BBW body influencer, so. I had delved a lot into body positivity and fat phobic stuff. And fat itself is okay. It's good. It's the connotation you personally attach to it, which mm. brings it down. So, yeah. Thank you. Okay. For, no, yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. So on the Nick's website, they have women of every shape. Yeah. Which I really like. They have, they show cellulite, they show curves, they show stretch marks from having babies their models are real reflections of women. I really like the next website. And I like um, all the all the pictures have the sizes of everybody underneath so that you can oh go, man, okay, nice. well, my, so I actually brought a bra from them too. Um, it's very comfortable wearing it right now. Okay. Uh, oh, cool. Not that I'm, now we sound like we're advertising next, but. Um, <laughs> I know. But uh, us. they have, so then they had pictures <laughs> of people because I was like, I don't know which size I am and you you do your measurements, but whatever. And so I was like, oh yeah, I'm <clears> kind of <throat> like that body type. Great. Let me look to see, okay, that makes sense that I'm that size, that much my body type. And I loved that because buying clothes and it's like, and now, you know, some of them like, the gap or whatever. I think they have like really skinny models. And then, so they have size like two and they have size 14, but it's like, I wish they just did the wide range of sizes so that you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like I'm whatever in the middle, like that would fit me well. Yeah. That looks great on someone who's size 14. That looks great on someone who's size two. But also for the skin tones that way too. Like you can see like what's yeah. When you go to the models, you can choose the different skin tones that they're wearing. Yeah. And you can see, oh, my skin tone is kind of like hers. And she's wearing this color, right? So I feel like also that sizes need to be adjusted. Because like if we start at size zero, but it's an actual thing that's not invisible, <laughs> then poor people who are size 4XL are actually really only size 12. But because we started size zero at what should really be probably a size five. Some people you know are what I'm saying? Like, really, really small though, too. But zero? Yeah, but they're yeah. not invisible. <laughs> <laughs> they're not missing. Like they're not absent. Yeah, that's where zero is. It's <laughs> one or something. Like, there's zero, whatever. zero too. Yeah, there's double zero. Zero. Right. zero. Extra, extra small. And it's like, what, where, like, I just feel bad and I am larger, right? So I have to go shopping and then I'm like, oh, it looks like I'm a 7XL. Okay, let me get these <laughs> I think part right? of and I'm not is, is part right. of like the white centering though because the size is kind of started and then there's just uh, like certain countries have a lower average size than other countries, right? Like That's true. Like Dutch people are supposed to be very tall or whatever, right? So like uh, it's a little bit of uh, centering, I think. And then they had to add the extra small for like smaller people that didn't fit into like the average British size. Well, American sizes are different than a lot than Canadians too. And the different. Well, all sizes are kind of like, you can get different sizes from different stores, right? Like a 14 here and a 14 there. It'd be nice if the sizes reflected measurements instead. Like instead of doing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Why we say my size, like, you know, jeans, you can get 32 or whatever. Like, wouldn't it be nice if everything was kind of like that? Meredith makes a good point because when I was living in China, ex- like extra large would sometimes fit me. And I'm a small person. Extra large in China was just fitting me. So 
if it was on the average size and the states is like the dominant in north america kind of right and they are known for being most obese then i would think that their sizes would be larger not Mm -hmm. too small that's all i'm Mm -hmm. saying if it is a reflection of the society that's having the most influence or whatever Mm-hmm. But I get what you're saying too. In the, if the average person in any given place is smaller, then you don't need that size because it's not selling, right? Right. On my reading list is uh, what we don't talk about when we talk about fat by Aubrey Gordon, who oh. also is known as uh, your fat friend. And her Instagram account is great to follow. And it's just makes it really approachable. So I'm excited to read her book and or listen to her book. But that again is what we don't talk about when we talk about fat by Aubrey Gordon. Oh, cool. What's your wife's Instagram? Because she does a bunch of like body beautiful things. We'll put it in there. Yes. Uh, Her name is Miss Lindsay M. Due to a recent discovery over the last couple of years, she has found herself on the autism spectrum. So that's also another oppression that she is fighting for fighting with so uh yeah body positivity also mental health activist and also person of color ally uh miss Lindsay m it's awesome on instagram or do you know yeah. if it's her that's her handle at yeah. miss Lindsay m Lindsay with an yep. a l-i-n-d-s-a-y yeah because those are the best aren't they they are oh. the best thank you very much <laughs> Sorry. good job <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this episode of Book Interrupted. If you'd like to see the video highlights from this episode, please go to our YouTube channel, Book Interrupted. You can also find our videos on www.bookinterrupted.com. Moments you can look forward to on next week's Book Interrupted. You know, white silence is violence. As I am offering you a teachable moment, supremely defensive to the point where they're almost like yelling and getting agitated. I can see them uh-huh. sweating. Sarah, you and Senegal are going to make it to the Pocknick. You never know. Down. Yeah, like our white <laughs> sorrows are like, no, this is going horribly wrong. Just turned into a way of engaging people as if they were having dinner with me. Uh, it was me. <laughs> it's me on Tinder. It's me. <laughs> Book interrupted.